church together. The Apostle Peter writing, of course, Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. And Father, we pray that as we look at this passage and and or some related passages to this topic, we, we pray that you, by your Spirit, will speak to our hearts. Might we bow before you now as we bow before your word. We desire, Lord, to receive your word as worshipers, to receive your word with the intent to apply your truth to our lives. And so, God, have your way. Be glorified in this time. Give us understanding by your Holy Spirit. Might he open the eyes of our hearts, not just simply to see the Scripture and understand it, but, Lord, to see you, Lord Jesus, more and more clearly. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We ask it in your precious name. Amen. You guys may be seated. Well, as we see here, we are beginning a passage and actually a section of this letter in which the Apostle Peter deals with submission. Now, last week, as we were looking at uh, verses uh, 9 through 12, we saw that um, we saw who we are in Christ. We saw our purpose as his own special people, uh, that our purpose is to proclaim his praises. And how we, as sojourners and pilgrims in this very dark world are to live our lives that even those who oppose Christ, unbelievers, will one day glorify God. And we are encouraged in that as that is the way that uh, Peter encourages us to live our lives. Uh, we're encouraged, encouraged with the idea that we are to live our lives in such a way that that. It's all about glorifying God. It's about glorifying Jesus Christ in all things. Uh, every time we come in here on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or wherever it may be, we, we see this, this portion of 1 Peter 4.11, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. If, if that's really in our hearts, we see a passage before us that really, really applies to us in our culture as we live in this culture today. So let's see what the Lord has for us. But we see Peter beginning a section of this, of this letter in which he deals with submission. In, in verses 13 to 17, he is uh, writing about our call and really the command from God to submit ourselves to the, our governing authorities, to every ordinance of man, as uh, Peter words it here in verse 13. 
The following passage in verses 18 through 25, we see him uh, encouraging us in, in relation to submission in the workplace. And then in chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, it is submission in marriage. And so these, these attitudes of, or th th these uh, areas of our lives in which we are to have an attitude of submission. Now, as I say that, it's not like we are to just simply be submitted in these areas of our lives. We are to have a submitted heart at all times. And we'll be talking about that as we go through this passage together. But as we see, as we begin to look at this particular passage, uh, we, we, we see that um, as Peter begins to write about submitting to every ordinance, I, I want to talk about this word submission that we see in these verses, 13, 18, and then verse 1 of chapter 3. Um, in all three verses in the ESV translation, it translates this Greek word, which is hypotasso, as be subject in each one of them. This word also can be translated or and is translated in other portions of the New, New Testament as obedient or under. Uh, from that Greek word hypotasso, hypo, under, like hypodermic, for example, right? Under, under the skin, hypodermic needle, under the skin. Um, so it has to do with placing ourselves under whatever authority God has given to us. In, in regard to submission, that's what the word means. We place ourselves under that authority, whatever it might be. Government, uh, your, your supervisor in the workplace, uh, in marriage, within the church, Whatever it may be, there are many areas in which we are to have that, where, where we see that attitude practice. But the idea of submission is really a uh, condition of the heart, having a mindset, a total mindset of submission, a mindset of um, humility in which we place ourselves under the uh, authority of others around us. And so, placing ourselves under. And we see here that Peter writes, we are to place ourselves under or submit ourselves to every ordinance of man. First of all, this word every. The word in the Greek is pas, P-A-S, which in most places in the New Testament where we see that word is translated as all. So all or every, it's hundreds of times in the New Testament. We have an attitude of submission to the governing authorities. Uh, here in the New King James, uh, we see it worded, uh, every ordinance of man. In the New American Standard Bible, it's translated every human institution. In the NIV, it's every human authority. So, so we see the idea here. It's not that we look at every law that man gives to us, that our governing authorities give to us, and we place ourselves under uh, uh, the authority of that law. So, so the idea of, of every um, ordinance can 
we, we can kind of misconstrue things with, with, with that particular translation. It's every institution or every authority that God has placed. So it's just a general attitude of submission. Paul writes a, a, a very similar passage, a very similar truth in the book of Romans chapter 13 in verses 1 and 2. He writes, let every soul be subject to governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. That's pretty heavy right there, isn't it? Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Now, Judgment on themselves in the context there, it's not speaking about we're going to bring eternal judgment on ourselves. It's speaking about how we will bring judgment on ourselves in the context of our world. If we don't place ourselves under the authority of the governing authorities that God has placed in our lives, we're going to find ourselves in trouble. And we'll be breaking the law, and we may spend time in jail or something like that which we don't see happening all that often anymore. But that's, that's beside the point. But the point is this. We place ourselves, it's a decision that we make in our minds. It is, it is from an attitude of, of submission in our hearts, understanding that God has given us authority and we place ourselves under that authority even as we have placed ourselves under the authority of God, because he's the one that gives us that authority, right? That's the attitude that God wants us to have. But a question that we might ask ourselves is this. Do we place ourselves under the authority of what God has placed over us in terms of the authority structure in every law that is given? And the answer to that is, well, no, not necessarily. Generally speaking, yes. But are there exceptions? Yes. There are exceptions. And, and, and we find those exceptions uh, uh, written by the uh, writer Luke of the book of Acts in chapters 4 and 5. Two different passages I want to I take you to. Acts chapter 4 verses 19 and 20, as Peter and John are before the Sanhedrin, the, the, the ruling council of the Jews, they had brought them to them, uh, brought uh, Peter and John before them uh, because of them spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they say this to the Jewish council in verse 19, Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And then in the following chapter, a very similar statement made by Peter and the other apostles in Acts 5.29. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than than men. So that idea of 
obeying God rather than men. God gave us authority to place ourselves under. And yet, if that authority commands that we do something that opposes God's word, then we can rightly say, and not only can we rightly say, really, we are obligated to say, I must obey God rather than man. There are some nations where it is against the law to attend a Christian church. It's against the law to evangelize. And that presents a difficulty because God tells us to do so. To attend, uh, to attend church every, uh, on a regular basis. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, right? In, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. But we, we have to obey God rather than men. So there are times where uh, submission to authority, to, to human authority, is, is to be uh, rejected by us based on the particular thing that is given, the particular law that may be given, yet having a general attitude of submission toward that authority. Living our lives in such a way that we are submitted, but on those occasions where there is something that opposes the word of God, we must say, I can't do that. I can't follow that law. I have to obey God rather than man, right? But all along having a general attitude of submission to the authority that God has placed over us. Very, very important for us to see and understand that. So whether these authorities are in government, the workplace, in the home, or whatever, there may be times when what we would call civil disobedience is not only appropriate, but really required by God. A very interesting topic. And we see here, Getting back here to 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 13, we see the reason for this, that the motive that, that, that the Holy Spirit, through Peter's writing, gives to us to do this, to have this submission, is for the Lord's sake, for His honor. I referred back to, to, the, to the, the, the verse on the wall here earlier. And I just want to repeat that, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And that goes on to say, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. If I want to submit to Christ, I will submit to the authorities that he gives to me. Unless they tell me something specifically to do, which is, in opposition to what the Lord gives me to do. It's a very simple thing, but the trick is doing so always with humility. That's the trick. That's the trick. We see here in verses 13 and 14, as he goes on, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him, now, there's two, two ways that we can, we can actually uh, um, interpret 
the words by him. You know, by whom? Is it by, by God, sent by God? Or is it sent by the king, governors sent by the king? That's one, one way that it could be, be taken. But if we do regard all given by God anyway, if it is the king sending the governor to do this, it is God sending it as well because it's all under his authority anyway, right? So I, I think that's, a, that's the appropriate way to take it. Sent by him, sent by God for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. In Romans, again, chapter 13, this time verses 3 and 4. Paul writes, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. In our culture, we have laws that are written for the protection of society, for our protection and the protection of others around us. That's the basic reason for it. And this all goes back to what God had said. One of my favorite verses in the book of Deuteronomy, I, I, I quote it on a fairly regular basis, Deuteronomy 5.29, in which we see God speaking to Moses and says, Oh, that they had such a heart in them to obey me always and keep my commandments, that it will be well with them and with their children forever. God's motive for giving us rules, for giving us commandments, for giving us guidelines is for our good. And our government, if it is a responsible government, will do the same. We as parents, if we are responsible as parents, we'll do the same with our children. It's the same with any authority structure. God gives us the blueprint for it. His motive is for our good. We should be the same. Now, obviously, all governments do not do this. But we must be with a submissive attitude and heart subject to those authorities. Now, some perspective I want to give here. When Paul wrote the book of Romans, this was probably around 57 A.D., Emperor Nero had been in power for three years already. Now, he had not yet gone wacko and began persecuting the church. That was in 64 A.D., but Nero was in power. This was the Roman Empire, not a democracy like, like what we live in. The people did not have a voice at all. Peter, writing 1 Peter, probably in early 64 AD, just prior or maybe around the time that this persecution under Nero began. The reason I set that context is I, I think it is important for us to understand 
that we as Christians, the church itself, can survive and do fine under any form of government. That's important for us to understand, under any form of government. Now, is it true that under some forms of government, the persecution of the church will be greater than others? Yeah, of course. Of course. But you know, guys, as we're, as we're in this election year and everything, I want to encourage you not to place your hope on how the election turns out because your hope is in Jesus Christ. Okay, we need to understand that. I love America, and I know that you guys do too. I am a patriot. I know that you guys are as well. But we've got to step back and take a look at history. Nations have risen and fallen. Why wouldn't that happen to the USA? Just saying, why not? And as we were raised up as a nation, a very unique nation, our Declaration of Independence, our, our Constitution, our, our unique uh, uh, governmental structures that have allowed us to survive as the greatest nation that ever existed on this planet. But we can see that it's taking a downturn. And we also understand the reason why. Our nation is turning its back on God. That's why. So why wouldn't we fall? And there's no mention of the USA or some Western power in, in, in Revelation or in any of the passages that deal with, with last times. It's just not mentioned. Meaning that it, it just appears that we as a nation will become more and more irrelevant for whatever reason. Is it because of economics or finances? Is it because of... of uh, of uh, uh, military power. Uh, we are taken over by another nation. I don't know. Maybe we, we become like Switzerland and we just don't get involved. I don't know. But while the USA may be in danger, the church is not. The church is not. We as a church will be fine. Amen? We will be fine. The gates of Hades will not prevail against it, as Jesus said. But our great nation, as it is declining in many ways, it could be that the writing is on the wall. We could be in that decline right now to a place of irrelevance. It certainly seems that way, doesn't it? But who knows? Election year. Things could change if people are placed in power who have a heart toward God and want to do his will. We'll, we'll see. We'll see what, what God might do in regard to those things. In verse 15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. 
You know, a lot of times we, we ask that question, I just want to know what God's will is for my life. Well, here you go. Here's one very specific statement that the Holy Spirit, through Peter, gives to us in terms of this is the will of God. That we live our lives in such a way that in doing good and following God's God's word and submitting to him in doing good. And the context here speaks about the idea that doing good means you are subject to the ruling authorities. Without, without being rebels and having a rebellious attitude toward our authority, but submitted to them, doing good, we put to silence those who are critical of us. It's through our behavior, our good behavior. And in no other way. It's not by exercising our constitutional rights. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do that. But we need to do so with a submitted heart. That can be a hard thing to do, because as we, as we proceed on that path, it, it's easy for us to fall in line with, with the world and fight our battles in the world's way rather than fighting our battles in God's way. You understand? When it's a spiritual warfare. It's warfare, but it's a spiritual warfare. It's a spiritual warfare. And guys, let's face it. Um, in terms of warfare and in terms of division within our country, you know, it, we've never seen it as divided as it is today. Now, a civil war has not developed as it did back in the 1860s. Our country was really divided then. And we might think, could it have been worse than it is now? Well, I think it probably was. But the point is that we are fighting a battle, yes, but it is a spiritual battle. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, we see these words. Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, the Holy Spirit speaking to us today. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand. And that spiritual armor is truth, righteousness, the preparation of the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, and the Word of God. That's what we do our battle with. That's what we are armed with as we do battle. And it's the sword of the Spirit, of course, being the Word of God. Spiritual warfare means that we use spiritual armor. And so we need to take note of that. Again, 
we need to focus on the reality that our warfare, our, as Paul writes, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our battle is not against the people who stand against God's truth. It's against those who are inspiring them to do so. The demonic realm. That's where battle is, right? Let's remember that. Let's remember that. As free, verse 16. We are to, by doing good, put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And by the way, this idea of ignorance of foolish men, the idea of foolishness in the scriptures has to do with not recognizing God, basically. Not recognizing him, not following after him. The wise person does so, does recognize him, does honor him, does follow him. The foolish person does not. In general, that's what we see through the scriptures. And, and, and that applies here as well. And we see that Peter uses the word, guided by the Holy Spirit, the ignorance of these foolish men. And so one of the aspects of that is that is the idea that, you know, These people, people around us who are opposed to God's truth, opposed to the church, opposed to Christians, opposed to God, they just simply don't know. Ignorance, not knowing. They just don't know. They don't understand. And we need to be a light before them as well as praying for them. But we do so, as we see in verse 16, as free. Not in bondage, but as free. Yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. As free, but not using. We've been freed by Christ. We've been freed from bondage by Jesus himself and what he did for us on that cross, right? Right? And as free people, we, we can come against those who are opposed to us as the church, opposed to Christ, by doing good, choosing as free people to do so, but never using our freedom, never using our liberty as a cloak or as a covering for vice. I, I, I do recall early in my Christian walk, you know, when Jeanette and I first came to Christ back in 1973, over 50 years ago now, we were so excited. I mean, that was a, a wonderful time within the church. It was you know, the, the, the revival still was going on, that Jesus people movement still was happening, and, and the churches were exploding, and, and you know, uh, the, the Lord reached our hearts. We became a part of the church. We were so excited and reading the word, wanting to apply it, wanting to obey it. You know, it was just so exciting and everything. And then after a few years, um, doing further reading and, and, and through um, relationships with people. I mean, as we know, I mean, there, there are, just within the church, there are some who take God's word more seriously than others. That's just the way it is within the church. A, there, there's a process of growth that takes place, right? 
a process of understanding and so forth. But as we began learning about freedom, you know, we, we started to develop this, this attitude that, well, maybe it's okay if I have a drink. I mean, we, we stopped everything. Whether it was drinking or smoking cigarettes. Yeah, we, we, we smoked at, at one time. We did. Um, drinking, whether it's beer or, or uh, um, cocktails or whatever it might be. Um, uh, gambling. Uh, whatever it might be. And the Lord actually saved me in my desire to do, to do that. Drink and gambling. And you guys know my story. Don't have time to share that now. But... The point being, you know, we had determined that we were going to live according to the way what we saw. And then we started learning about freedom and, and people around us, you know, freedom in Christ. We can do certain things. You know, I mean, you know, I mean the, the Bible, for example, does not say that thou shalt not have a drink. It's thou shalt not be drunken. And we, we see that in the book of Ephesians. Not worded that way, but you get the point. But we felt that we had freedom. And so we began to do that. You know, I, I remember having, you know, when we, when we lived in Rancho Cucamonga, we had a pool and a spa. I remember sitting at the spa, you know, Jeanette and I with another couple sitting in the spa drinking wine coolers, thinking that that was just fine and, and, and okay, you know. Until we began to study further and Reading what the Apostle Paul wrote, in 1 Corinthians in particular, in chapter 8, verse 13, he writes, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. The context there is that there is controversy within the church in, in Greece, because of all of the, the, the pagan worship, there were animals that were being sacrificed to uh, the gods of Greece, and then the meat from those animals placed in the marketplace, and people were buying that meat and taking it home and eating it, and there were some Christians who were thinking, that's not right, to eat meat of an animal that had been sacrificed to a pagan god. Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians, it really doesn't matter, but it may matter to some. And if it does, if I eating this meat is going to cause a brother to stumble, out of my love for that brother, I will not eat that meat. I may have the freedom to do it, but out of love for that person, I won't. And I think drinking alcohol is a, a, is a matter like that within the church today. And so, we began to choose love. Loving one another and not placing an obstacle in the path of our brothers and sisters in Christ that would cause them to stumble. That's what we began to choose. And I think we as Christians need to be led by love 
rather than by freedom. Bottom line is, I am made free by Christ to choose to do that, which is the most loving thing to do with other people, which doesn't come naturally for us. As Jesus chose to do so. Warren Wiersbe wrote this, Yes, we are free in Christ, but we must never use our freedom for ourselves. I like the way you wrote that. We are not, you and I are not to use our freedom for us. He goes on to say, we must always use it for others. Sad to say, there are religious racketeers who prey on ignorant people and use religion to veil their evil actions. A true Christian submits himself to authority because he is first of all submitted to Christ. Paul wrote to the Galatians in chapter 5, verse 13, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. These are important verses, guys, important verses. I'm to use my freedom as an opportunity to love you, not to, not, not to fulfill the desires of the flesh, but to love you. That's where this freedom falls in. So, so we do it as bondservants of Christ, not for vice, not as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of Christ. This higher law of love, as we saw there in 1 Corinthians 8.13, which we already read. So love for Christ, love for others, ought to be those things, according to the word of God, that motivate us and rule us in our actions and decisions in our personal lives. Love for God first and love for others, which we'll be getting a little bit more of that in just a few minutes. In verse 17, we see four different admonitions given to us, um, commandments really. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Very simple. Very simple. It's one of these verses that in just a few words, two lines, four very short sentences, but one verse that covers an awful lot of ground. Covers an awful lot of ground. We begin with this thought of honoring all people. This is a command for us, honor all people. To honor, to value, to esteem, to respect. Those are different ways that this could be, could be translated. All people. The human race, each and every one of us as a part of the human race, has been created in the image of God, right? And being created in the image of God gives to us a certain dignity 
that the rest of creation does not have. Isn't that true? We're created in his image, body, soul, and spirit. Plant life, animal life does not have a spirit like we have to communicate with God. We do. We've been created in the image of God. And that in itself deems every human being with the worthiness to be respected, valued, and esteemed. Simply because that person is a human being created in the image of God. Would you guys agree with that? It's kind of simple to agree with that, but then it can be hard to apply. Because that applies to every low life you've ever known. You get my point. There are certain people that don't have our respect because we say you need to earn respect. There's an element of truth in that in terms of our personal relationship, yet underneath it all, it has to be undergirded with the reality that I recognize that this is a person created in the image of God. To value that life, to value that person. This world does not value human life. It's a world of euthanasia. By the way, euthanasia is not just a, wor a word for young people on a certain continent on this planet. Euthanasia, no. Euthanasia, you know what I mean by that. I'm sorry, I just had to bring that up. <laughs> Every time I see the word and I, I, I say it, that's what I think about. The youth movement on, in Asia, in, anyway. Um. <laughs> Nice, Beto. Thank you that you got it, finally. <laughs> no, but the world doesn't value life. Whether it's a baby in the womb or an elderly person in a nursing home, the world places no value on human life unless the world can see that that life is somehow contributing to their good, then there's value. That's the wrong criteria for, for human worth. Right? We're created in the image of God. That goes to, that, 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 that's the case for every human being. Romans 12:10 says this, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor giving preference to one another. This is the way that we're to treat one another, in honor, this idea of honoring all people. Um, giving preference, the idea of preference, what this word means is to give preeminence to esteem more highly. More highly than what? Than yourself. 
That's powerful stuff. I am to treat you in such a way, and you're to treat each other, you're to treat me, we're to treat each other in such a way that it is clear that we value that person to be preeminent over ourselves. That's what this means, giving preference to one another. That's what it means. That's what the Holy Spirit is telling us. Don't like that, do we? <laughs> Bottom line, in our own fleshly nature, in our, uh, in our sin nature, we, we don't like authority. We don't. But God tells us to submit to the authority that he gives to us and even preferring one another in such a way that we regard that person as preeminent over ourselves. But you know what, guys? That's exactly what our Creator did for us. It's exactly what our Creator did for us. When He left heaven, left the right hand of His Father, took human form, came to this earth, lived a perfect life, and as the Lamb of God was sacrificed on that cross bearing the sin of the world. In Philippians 2, 3 through 5, we see these words. Paul writing about our, our behavior, the way we're to treat one another. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. That's that preeminent thing, right? Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And then the next paragraph begins this way. Let this mind be in you. Let this attitude, this mindset, this attitude be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. What is this attitude? What mind? In lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. I've shared this with you guys. Some of you who may be new, new here may, may not have perhaps heard me share this, but uh, likely have heard it before. But the point is that Jesus, here according to what Paul is writing, under the guidance of God's Spirit, he's writing that Jesus esteems us to be better than himself. At that point, our minds kind of go, does not compute, does not compute, does not compute, you know. Because it doesn't. It doesn't make sense to us. But that's the mindset that he had. He esteemed you and me to be better than himself. Uh, the NASB translates it this way, that portion there in, in verse 3. With humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. The ESV says, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. This is heavy stuff, guys. But all, all this in, with this idea of honoring 
all people, this all comes into play. Jesus, our Lord and our, 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 our Savior and our Creator, sees us that way, and that is why he, of course, in obedience to his Father, came to rescue us, to deliver us, to save us from sin. And so, with all that in mind, that's how we're to be. That's what we're called to be. And this humility, this, this lowliness of mind is sorely lacking in the human race today. Not just today, always. It's just a part of, the, of our human nature, our sinful nature, isn't it? It's just a part of us. It's something that the Lord will overcome in us as we submit to him. But it's sorely lacking. And, and, and I, I have to add that it is tragically lacking even within the church. Because we see self-assertion self and we, we, we see self-promotion and, and we see a lot of things that are, are strict, patently against what we, what we see here commanded us here in Philippians 2, which is a passage dealing with the humility of Jesus. And if why, if you, if we want to be like Jesus, this is where we desire to go, amen? We desire to go to that place of placing other people above us, like Jesus did. That's heavy stuff. It's heavy stuff. This is how we honor one another. And then we see, secondly, love the brotherhood. We are to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, we honor all people, but we love the brotherhood. We love our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what Peter is writing, which goes along with what Jesus said in John 13, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Of course, Jesus is speaking this to the apostles at the Lord's Supper, the final meal as they were celebrating Passover. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It is revealed, us being disciples of Jesus is revealed not by how much we know, not by how many scriptures we have memorized, <coughs> excuse me, but by the way that we love each other. That's how it's determined. That's how other people can know. And this all goes right along with honoring people as well, doesn't it? Now, we are told specifically to love each other within the church, but having said that, let's remember that Jesus also said, Love your enemies, didn't he? Man, I can't do this without his help, without his spirit. 
without his love, I can't. None of us can. But gladly, he's given us his spirit. He's given us his help. He's given us his strength, along with the instruction, along with the example of Jesus. And so, we have what we need. Fear God. Having a reverential awe for our Creator. We are to love and honor Him above all things and above all people. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven to 40. Of course, as a, as a scribe asked Jesus, which is the greatest of all the commandments? This is His answer. You guys are familiar with this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. First and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. I was having a conversation with my grandkids in Phoenix a couple weeks ago. And we were were talking about the prevalent attitude among, among young people, which is totally the opposite of this in terms of loving others as you love yourself. Believing, and this has been going on for decades, really for centuries, but it's just a little bit different twist to it perhaps today. But, you know, Jesus did not give us three commands. He said, a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He's saying, love your neighbor as you already naturally have love for yourself. Rather than loving yourself, love your neighbor instead. The world tells us we can't love other people unless we first love ourselves. That is a lie from the pit of hell, guys. If I love myself, I'm so busy thinking about myself and doing things for myself, I can't love you. I can't. Being a narcissist, which is a very common thing in our culture today, is more and more common than ever. Narcissism, self-love. I think that I was was having a conversation just uh, on Friday with Pastor David over at Chino Valley, and uh, we had some coffee together. Um, But uh, along with Marie, Marie was there as well difficult to do that still because in years past Jeanette would be with us and she's not just kind of a hard thing but point being as we were talking you know um, we were were in agreement that that this thing began in our culture um, well in California back in the back in the 80s California began this push towards self-esteem We've got to teach self-esteem. That's got to be an overriding thing that we're teaching in the schools, self-esteem. Leading to the idea that you can't even have a youth league of of baseball or soccer or something without everybody getting an award, regardless of how lousy they are. You know what I mean? That's a part of it. That's a part of it. And then focus on the the family went to this place of pushing self-esteem, in particular for, for women and children. 
and high self-esteem, you know? I mean, we have to have a, we have to value ourselves. And I think we need to have an accurate self-esteem. I'm created in the image of God, but my sin has marred that terribly. But my worth is not based on who and what I am as a person. It's how God sees me. That's my worth. He made me as, as in his image, but I also have this sin nature. He sent his son in his love for me who sees me as more, more valuable. He values me to, to be better than himself in, in a crazy way, but that's what love does, and I'm to love other people. So I, I, I give my life in service to God and other people. And guys, I'll tell you what, that brings more balance to a human heart and human mind than anything on this planet. If we live our lives in service to God and to others, we are the most balanced people on the planet rather than seeking some way to let everybody know how worthy I am, how wonderful I am. You know, the Lord came into my life and freed me from that because I really thought I was quite something because I could do certain things better than other people that made me think that I was better than other people. And God had to slap me around for quite a while. He actually, I'm still doing it from time to time. <laughs> That's my heart. That's my natural heart. Fear God. And honor the king, finally. We spoke about honoring all people. Honoring the king, in our case, in the United States, we have a president. We're to honor our president. We honor President Biden. Even though we disagree with him. We may feel that he doesn't need to be, he shouldn't be in office. Or we may feel that he's doing a wonderful job. It doesn't matter what we feel about the job that he's doing, just simply the fact that he is there. And because he is a human being created in the image of God, that, that makes him worthy of our honor, right? Everybody say, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter if we agree with them. It doesn't matter if it's Biden, Trump, Obama, Haley, Newsom. He was created in the image of God. And God has placed him in authority over us as the governor of California. We don't have to agree with him in order to honor him in our hearts. But we must pray for them too. 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 to 4. Paul writing, Therefore I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of our Savior. Let me read that part again. This is good and acceptable in the sight of our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. By the way, 
my disagreement with a person doesn't necessarily mean that that person is wrong because I could be wrong. The determining, the determining factor for what is right and wrong is the scriptures. All right? And so when we do disagree, when our mind is formed by the truth of God's word and our leaders are in disagreement with that, we talked about that earlier with our country taking this downturn that we're tragically seeing, right? That's why we pray for our leaders. We respect them, we honor them, we realize that they have gone away from the scriptures. We pray that God will grab their hearts and bring them to himself. Notice that 1 Timothy chapter 2 is connected with salvation. We pray for them so that we can live the kind of lives in which we, are, we live godly, we, we, we live in reverence of God, and in such a way that people will come to Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's why we pray. That's why we pray. And so, we've got a lot of prayer to do, guys. We've also got a lot of honor to give. And might we do that as we bow before our God and before His Word. Amen. Father, help us. Lord, some of these things are so hard. They certainly don't come naturally. We need you. We need your Holy Spirit. We need his guidance. We need his power. We need his love. Your word tells us that he has shed your love abroad in our hearts. And Lord, we confess that there are just sometimes that we're not acting like that. Forgive us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to follow your word in regard to how this all plays together with us being a part of your church, honoring and worshiping you, but living in a world that doesn't. Oh, God, help us. Might our hearts be desired first and foremost that you would be honored and glorified and that, Lord, we will be vessels of your love toward others, whether they are a part of the church or not because they need your love. We do understand that there are a lot of really messed up people in this world because of the lack of love that has been shown to them in their lives. Oh, they need your love. Help us, God. Fill us with your spirit. And Lord, we confess our attitudes at times are simply wrong with all these things. God, might we act in accordance with your word and, Lord, in accordance, Lord Jesus, with your very heart who somehow saw me, saw us as better than yourself. Thank you, Lord, for that and the salvation that you brought us. Now, Lord, might we go in your, in your love and in your strength to accurately represent you as your representatives in this world, as your ambassadors. So God, we thank you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand, guys. Well, Danny's here to lead us in worship.